Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain in the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and some a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout, sol- and a, yeah, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet, there were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our, law, that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if the man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. Lord, we just pray as we just explore this wonderful story that you'd speak to us, that we would hear, and Lord, that we would be changed through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, chapter 10 is probably one of the most pivotal chapters in all of the book of Acts. This passage revolves around... Apostle Peter and a Roman centurion called Cornelius. But actually it starts a long session in Acts about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. 
Now, so far, we've seen how thousands of Jews have come to faith in Jesus from Acts chapter 2 and moving onwards. Then in Acts chapter 8, we've seen how the gospel has transformed the lives of the Samaritans. Now, Peter will be used by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and bring them into the church. Now, most scholars think that these first 10 chapters of Acts probably took place over a period as long as maybe 10 years. And it's certainly many years has passed since Jesus ascended into heaven and commanded his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and then in Samaria and of course eventually into the ends of earth. But the unfolding of this commission and the transition of the gospel that spread from the Jews then on to the Samaritans and then eventually would hit the Gentiles seems to be a very gradual process. And God has his time as well as his plan. He's never in a rush, he's never in a hurry, but also he's never late. And God's timetable is rarely the same as yours or mine. And we are often in a hurry when God's not. Notice that? And you may feel frustrated that sometimes it just seems such slow progress within our lives. And certainly as a church leader, as a church planter, I've I've felt that over the years. But listen, God has his purpose. Because God is preparing you for eternity. He has a greater purpose than anything that we see going on around us in this moment. So don't get discouraged when things seem to take longer than you expect them to. God is working. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk became depressed because he didn't think that God was acting quickly enough. Been there. This is what God told him. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Listen, God's word will come to pass. That's what what it says. God's word is going to come to pass and nothing and nobody can stop it. I believe that's maybe a prophetic word for some of you even here today. In the early church, they may well have been questioning if Jesus' prophetic promise to be witnesses to the ends of the world would ever happen. And you may be able to identify with that within your own life as well. So I want you this morning to allow God And God's word to encourage you through this story. Just listen to how things unfold and let God speak to you. See, in this chapter, we get to see what God is doing behind the scenes. And we get the answer to the question, God, why are we waiting? The answer, he is preparing a way. A way that is of eternal significance that we don't fully understand. In fact, we, will never, we may never, never fully understand until we get to heaven itself. But he is preparing you to be part of his great work 
of kingdom building. That's what's going on here. What went on in the early church and will go on tomorrow. And God always lays the ground of preparation before we see him act. So before he saves the Gentiles, God has prepared Peter to bring the message. At the same time, he's working in the life of Cornelius, but Peter has got no idea what's going on. Listen, we, we get the full story, and it's easy for us to see what's happening. Peter doesn't. He's confused. Everything he does from that moment on is a step of faith. In the same way, we don't know what will happen through a simple act of obedience to God. Maybe a simple word into someone's life. Or just showing love. Showing that we care. Now, of course, salvation is a divine work of grace, but with very few exceptions, God works through his people. Listen, it's a privilege, but also a responsibility for us to preach the gospel. So before we get into this story, I want to just give you a little bit of background about what is going on. See, Cornelius lived in the city of Caesarea. This was the Roman capital of Judea at that particular time. It boasts of many beautiful public buildings, but in terms of geography, Caesarea is about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem, about 30 miles away from Joppa, where Peter was staying. That's significant. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, but it would seem that he's got tired of the Roman myths and the, the empty religious rituals, and he's turned to Judaism as a way of finding salvation. So Cornelius is known as a God-fearer, a term that's used for Gentiles who know about the God of the Jews and then worship him. But he hasn't fully converted to Judaism. In fact, he probably isn't allowed to. But he does acknowledge that Yahweh was the one true living God. He's an earnest seeker and having responded to what he knows about God, he has a heart for God and he's certainly seeking to please him and God takes notice. Do you know that God sees everything and knows everything? Cornelius' prayers and gifts have been heard and seen by God. And God was saying that he approved. He approves of what he sees. However, Cornelius does not yet believe the gospel. And even though he has responded well to what he knows about God, he wasn't saved. Now, it's really interesting to notice that how religious a person can be and yet not be saved. In many ways, Cornelius was the model of religious respectability, yet despite his sincerity, despite his obedience to God's law, despite fasting, despite his generosity to the Jewish people, he did not know Jesus as his saviour. But God was already preparing the ground for that to be changed. And the significance of this man's encounter with God cannot be underestimated or even overestimated because the conversion of this man will open up the door to the gospel into the rest of the world. And God's plan is to reveal to Cornelius his own son, Jesus, and fill him with his spirit. And you need to know that religion cannot save you. It can't. Only Jesus is the way of salvation. It's only when you come to him by faith. 
when you realize that you are a sinner, you turn from that sin, you repent of your sin, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who saves. There is perhaps one maybe significant difference between Cornelius and many religious people, maybe today. See, Cornelius knows that his religious devotion is not enough to save him. Listen, if you've decided that your character or even your good works will get you into heaven, it means that you've got no concept either of your own sin or of the grace of God. See, it's only when you respond to the word of God as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you that you are saved. See, in many ways, John Wesley, the great preacher, revivalist, was very much like Cornelius. You know his story? He's a religious man. He's a church member. He's the son of a minister. He, in fact, when he went to university, he belonged to a religious club in Oxford for the purpose of protecting or perfecting even his Christian life. Wesley even served as a foreign ministry, and while he's preaching to others, he has got no assurance of his own salvation. During that time, John Wesley wrote in one of his journals, he says, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who would convert me? But that was all about to change. One evening, he's back in England, and as a very discouraged missionary, he went to a meeting in London. He doesn't want to be there. He's very unwilling to be there. But in that evening, he encounters God like he never encounters him before. This is what he wrote later. It says, about 8.45, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The message that he heard that evening was the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on on Romans. But for the very first time, he met Jesus. He understood the grace of God and his life was radically transformed. The result, well, most of us know this great Wesleyan revival swept across England, swept many people into the kingdom of God. In fact, it it basically transformed the nation of Britain at that particular time. And it's very hard to say with any certainty why God took his time in revealing his amazing, saving grace to John Wesley. Except that somehow... It was part of the preparation for his future ministry. And how God will prepare you is unique. It'll be different. It'll look very different. And God speaks and God works in so many different ways. But listen, he does it at the right time, in the right place, and through the right person. So in Cornelius' case, God sent an angel to instruct him. And in true military fashion, Cornelius immediately obeys. At the same time, he's speaking to Peter. But the question I think we need to think about, why Peter? Why Peter? He's 30 miles away in Joppa. Bearing in mind that Philip the evangelist is already in Caesarea. Now, there are two possible reasons, potentially. One, maybe it's... Almost certainly, maybe he's testing Cornelius' obedience. 
How desperate is this man for God? Is he 30 miles desperate? Is he willing to go the way? But secondly, it is Peter that God wants to use. And God has given Peter the keys for the Gentiles to be saved. See, Peter's the apostolic leader of the church at that time, and God uses those who is gifted with apostolic ministry to break new ground. And listen, the opening of the doors into the Gentile nations, it was very much breaking of new ground. It's radical. And then once again, God not only works through, or not only works at the right time, but he works through the right people. And God's got a purpose for each and every one of you. And where he's placed you is right. And his timing is right. And who he brings into contact with you even this week will be right. And God is speaking. So to Cornelius, God sends an angel. But to Peter, God speaks through the most unlikely vision now, it's worth noting that Peter's staying in Simon's house, whose occupation was a tanner, which meant he was treating skins, he was treating hides of animals to produce leather. So it's sort of a fitting background for what's about to unfold. See, Peter, who had lived as an Orthodox Jew all of his life, he goes up to pray, probably his usual routine for the day. And while he's up there, he gets a vision in which he's told by God to eat on clean food. This is not the kind of good food that a Jew like Peter would have expected. It's the sort of food he would never have looked at, never mind touched. Peter knows in Leviticus chapter 11 that there's a ban on eating the kind of animals that are revealed to him in this particular vision. It's partly for health reasons, partly to show that God's people are distinctive from the surrounding nations. But listen, God is teaching Peter through a very unlikely vision. He tells him three times. Now, just a little bit of an aside. Peter's life is marked by threes. You notice that? He denies Jesus three times. He's restored and he's commissioned three times. And now he is commanded three times to move on from the ingrained Old Testament views of what's clean and what's unclean. Listen, the significance of this, I don't think Peter would have missed. It certainly would get him to sit up and listen. And even though he doesn't get it yet, such as the radical nature of the suggestion, when the knock comes to the door, it leads him to see the most remarkable thing that God is saying and what God is doing. Well, another question just to ponder. So why did God use a vision about food to show Peter that the Gentiles were unclean? Why this vision? Well, one reason, very simply, Peter's hungry. He's, he's, he's just... He's looking for some food. He's hungry. And God uses the natural conditions of how he's feeling to speak powerfully into Peter's life. And God very often speaks through the very ordinary things in life. And it's so important, therefore, that we are attentive to him. Are you listening? 
So while God can still speak through the dramatic, and you do hear stories of angel visitations, particularly in countries where there's a lot of persecution. However, more often than not, God speaks through the ordinary, through circumstances, through pictures, through prophetic words, through dreams, through visions. And one of the ways that God has been speaking to Rachel in, in recent months is, is through dreams. And I've asked her to come and share a little bit about how God speaks to her in that way. So, dreams. Um, I, I, I've, I've always dreamt quite a bit, but we, we went on the course with Pursuing His Presence, and the gentleman who was there actually started speaking to us a little bit more. So I've shared my dreams with people and tried to make sense of them in many ways, but I think God is doing it more um, amongst his people. I don't, I don't know why, but this gentleman said, his name was Adrian Horner, he said, dreams are basically symbolic night parables, which I quite like. I thought that was a good, good way to explain it. He's, they're often directional or they can be warnings to us. So I'm going to give you an example of one dream. I had this one on the last night at Devoted. So I had a dream, I wrote it down. This is, I tend to write my books, my dreams down in a, in a little book. And I try and do it as I wake up because we quite often forget details and details are often important. So if, if you write the detail down, even if it feels like complete nonsense, this is just how I do it. Anyway, I had a dream that we came home to our house from Devoted and we were being robbed. The thieves were sitting on, in a car on the drive. It was still on the drive. And I grabbed a lady who was an off-duty police officer to tackle them together. But I quickly realized that she was of no help to me because she had no uniform on. She had no weapons or no arresting kit, no handcuffs or anything. But then I realized that I had everything. That was my dream, woke up. Um, I then wanted to share a couple of things about how I look, how I look at dreams. I'll, go, I'll give you the, what I think about it afterwards. So first of all, we need to weigh, is it God's voice? It could be just a nonsense dream. If it's connected particularly to what I was doing that day, I often think, well, it's probably nonsense, but I tend to write it down anyway, just in case. The next thing I think, okay, dreams is a bit like thinking, so when we think, we can think our own thoughts, we can have a thought from God, or we can, the enemy, I believe as well, can drop thoughts into our mind too. And I think dreams are the same. Um, so I, I haven't got a Bible verse for that. If anyone can find one, that'd be great. Share it with me. <laughs> but I can't find any biblical basis for that, but that's just my experience of, of, of how I dream sometimes. So in the Bible, there are tons and tons of examples of dreams. Some are simple, some are more symbolic, and some are complex and symbolic. So a simple dream, an example, is the angel appearing to Joseph to say that he was going to have a child with Mary. Really simple, nothing needed explaining. It was just a dream, and that was that. Was that. And next one, Joseph, the dream of Joseph and his brothers, um, that's more symbolic because there was like funny pictures within it, but the brothers knew exactly what it meant when Joseph shared it. They knew what it meant. And then there's more complex ones like Daniel chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 8, um, which all needed divine interpretation. So they're symbolic, but they're quite complex, and they needed, we need God to reveal stuff to us sometimes. So we should always seek wise counsel of other people. If you have a dream, share it with somebody that you know 
that thinks in the same way as you, who you see as being a godly person. And also, we must, must pray because we need God's revelation of what he's trying to say to us if God is indeed trying to say something. Often when we have repeating dreams, it might be that we haven't heard and God will keep repeating a dream to us. I had one, for instance, when I was very young that I always kept getting. um, And God's only revealed to me recently what that meant, which has been really interesting. But um, there are two verses. Numbers 12, 18 says, When there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions and I speak to them in dreams. And then Job 33, verse 4 to 18, God speaks again and again, though people don't recognize it. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings and he makes them turn from doing wrong and keeps them from pride and protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. So I I do believe dreams often are warnings or directional. Um, So going back to my dream that I had at the beginning, I first of all thought that's just a nonsense dream because I'm going home from devoted and I, I might just be fearing that something bad's happened at home. Then on my way to a prayer meeting, I was just praying. I'm walking across the grass like we all were. And as I was walking, I was like, oh, no, that's not a directional dream. And I might, I might, it is a real dream. And I might need to share this. Anyway, I, I ended up sharing it in the prayer meeting. And I believe that God was saying that as we return to our towns and our cities, because it was all the church leaders were in this prayer meeting, As we return to our towns and our cities and churches, it's time that we stand up and take back what the enemy has stolen from us. We don't need to look for help from other people because God has fully equipped us and given us. That's other people, like sometimes we can look to the right and the left and think, oh, I can't really do that. But I do believe we need each other. That's not what that's saying. But he's given us authority. We wear his uniform and we're fully kitted out with all the equipment we need. And it's time that churches need to take back what the enemy's stolen. Thank um, you, Rachel. So get a book and write it down as you get it, because you, you will forget quickly. Mm. <laughs> Good. So now not all of us, will go, God's not going to speak to all of us in that way. I don't dream a huge amount, really, but, uh, um, but God will speak in many, many different ways. But one thing I want to say is this. There is one way that God will always, always, always speak. And that's through his word, contained in the pages of the Bible. See, this is the foundation, it's the plumb line that we judge everything else against. So everything that you think God may be saying to you must always line up with his revealed will found in the pages of the Old and the New Testament. So every dream, every vision, every prophetic word, every angelic visitation, if you get that, whatever way God is speaking to you, listen, if it does not, if it comes something that is contrary to scripture, it's not God. It's that simple. It's not God. Somebody else may be speaking to you. It may be just yourself, your own feelings, but God is not speaking through his things. Listen, you need to balance everything up with God's word. This is so important, so important. That's why we need people around us. We need people to weigh up various um, things if we hear God saying. But listen, God's word is very clear. We need to live in obedience to him. If you want to know God's joy in your life, The joy of the Lord, it says, is our strength. You want to live 
a strong life in the joy of the Lord. You want his blessing over your life. Live in obedience. Live according to his word, according to his principles. So why, why did why God give Peter this particular vision? Well, first of all, Peter's hungry and God often speaks through the very ordinary things. Second reason is this. The issue... The issue of what is clean and what is unclean was a major problem between the Jews and the Gentiles at that particular time. See, the law of Moses was a wall that separated Jew from Gentile. Today we know, of course, that wall has been broken down through at the cross through Jesus Christ. But Peter, Peter's learning it for the very first time. Don't miss this. Peter doesn't know all the stuff that we know about in the New Testament. So prior to this vision, Gentiles were considered to be aliens, to be strangers. In fact, later on in the book, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul highlights this. He explains it in more detail. What he describes is the wonderful mystery that the gospel is for everyone. So in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, as the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the dividing all hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his hands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one out of the two, thus making peace. And in body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. Through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And this term used in verse 13 of being far off was a common Jewish term used to describe the barrier that exists between Gentiles. In fact, even the walls that surrounded the temple at that time symbolized how Jews felt about Gentiles. Warning notices were put up just to make it very clear so no one was any doubt. Gentiles, keep out. You're not welcome here. A line was drawn, the wall of separation was obvious, and into that background of tension, Jesus breaks in. And Jesus' work was to tear down the real source of hostility, the law with its commandments and regulations, a law that was given to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, again affirming the same message, Gentiles, keep out. But at the root of all that fighting, Hatred, bitterness, war, and disunity is sin. However, the law of the Old Testament failed to provide a solution. Because the only solution to remove division among men and women is to remove the sin. But Jesus goes even further. See, he abolishes the demand of the law because he completely fulfills them. You see, he kept them perfectly and sinlessly. He became the perfect solution for sin by his death. In Christ, every person by faith is brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. Irrespective of their nationality, of their background, this is what Jesus accomplished by shedding 
his own blood, through his death on the cross, our sins are forgiven, we are washed clean, and we are given a new nature, and we become part of one new humanity. So Jew and Gentile, male and female, black and white, old and young, straight and gay, religious and agnostic, rich and poor, they are now all on equal footing. All must come to God in exactly the same way through Jesus. And the cross has put to death the hostility between God and repentant sinners. Listen, he provides reconciliation, which means the hostility has been turned to friendship. It's wonderful. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So in Christ, the greatest barrier of sin is removed. Therefore, every other barrier is removed as well. Apart from Jesus, every person is helpless. They are sinful. They are enemies of God. But by removing our sin, Christ gives us peace with each other and access to God. In God's kingdom, all who come to Jesus by faith have been made clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third reason for this vision, I think. And it goes back to something that Jesus had taught Peter and the rest of the disciples when he was ministering here on earth. And at that time, Peter just doesn't understand what Jesus was saying, but now it sort of all comes together. God was not simply changing Peter's diet. He was changing his entire program. It's not that Jews were clean and then Gentiles were unclean. No, both Jews and Gentiles were unclean before God. Romans eleven thirty two. 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so he may have mercy on them all. All of them, Jew and Gentile alike. This means that Gentiles do not have to become Jews in order to become Christians. For Peter, this would have exploded his head. It's radical. Such a radical suggestion. And it's hard for us to fully comprehend how challenging this is for Peter. Remember, all of his life, he's kept himself separate from the surrounding nations in a variety of symbolic ways, including what he eats. And so, as a self-respecting Jew, Peter would never have eaten unclean food. In fact, he doesn't intend to start now. And now, God is showing Peter that those barriers have been dismantled. And the point is not so much about the food. Of course, it's about the people. Which is why it takes some time for Peter to be persuaded. See, at first he refuses it in very polite terms. But he's still wrong. And listen, just because you come up with some brilliant, logical argument for disobeying God, it doesn't make it right. Just because you come up with the best excuses in the world still doesn't make it right. Saying, I can't, or I don't know how, or I don't have time, or I'm too scared. God has heard them all. And they're all wrong. Do you know the best 
and the most joyful way that you can live your life, once again, is in obedience to Jesus. Dr. W. Graham Scrooge, I think is how you say his name. Good name, by the way. Scrooge. It's great. He puts it like this. You can say no, and you can say Lord, but you can't say no, Lord. See, if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, you can only say yes to him and to obey his commands. And listen, despite the uncomfortableness of God's commands here, Peter does obey. He hears God's voice and he obeys. God is going to ask things of you that will require you to go outside of your comfort zone. God is going to ask things of you that mean you're going to have to go outside of your comfort zone. It may, it may be to bring a prophetic word or a tongue or an interpretation in one of our meetings. And that's scary, but God is encouraging you to speak out. It may be to go to your neighbors or even to go to someone in the street and pray for them or tell them that Jesus loves them. And, and this, and yeah, that's scary. But God is, God's going to use you and speak through you. You are called to obey even when you are perplexed. Listen, this can be the most exciting way that you can live because this is kingdom living. But God is speaking. And some of you are beginning to dream more dreams. Some of you are beginning to feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit more and more in your life. I know that because you've told me. But you need to step out in boldness without fear. And as you do, just like Peter, you're going to cut through some cultural assumptions and preferences. Listen, the gospel is for everyone. So don't judge people by appearances. Don't prejudge whom God, what God wants to do or even who he wants to save. One of the values here at Freedom Church is that we value everyone irrespective of their differences. And in many ways, we are a diverse group of people, but God has called us from different backgrounds. And that means that we will make close friendships with people who, apart from the gospel, we would either never know or even maybe care to know. But it means that everyone is welcome here. So let's be bold. Let's be fearless. Let's follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and always remember that God's Timing is always perfect. At the end of this story, at just the right time, three men arrive at the door. This is Peter's pondering the meaning of this vision. The Spirit commands Peter to meet the men and to go with them. The phrase used in verse 20 says they, they were doubting nothing. It, it means making no distinction. Peter knows that he is no longer allowed to make a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And in that moment, a radical shift has taken place in the early church that would propel the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Listen, we should be the most thankful. Was it not for that that we would not be here? And as we close, I want to encourage you to be listening to God. Speaking, God is leading in many different ways. In this story, he spoke through an angel to Cornelius, a man who's not saved, who's not filled with the Holy Spirit. God finds a way. 
He spoke to Peter through vision and through a dream. He spoke through the voice and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and through, and through circumstances arranged by God at God's perfect timing. And God is speaking to you. And I just want to pray as we finish. I want to pray just for the release of God's Spirit once again over, over each one of us. The release of his gifts, the gifts of his Spirit. I know some of you have really encountered God last weekend, devoted Stories of Holy Spirit just filling you. Some of you have got new gifts, gifts of tongues. Young man over there, wonderful. And God's working, but listen, God's got more for each and every one of us. Let's just stand together as we, as we close. I want to pray. Just It's always good, I think, when we want to receive from God, if we get ourselves in a posture which we're willing to receive and uh, for some of you to hold your hands out. Let's just pray. Father, we're here, Lord, because we love you, because we want to know you better, we want to know more about you. And Lord, we just want to receive, Lord, all that you have for us today. Lord, thank you for the wonderful stories in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, you let us see behind the scenes of what you're doing, Lord, and Lord, in, in the heavenlies that you're working. And we don't get the, always the, the, the privilege of seeing the end. But Lord, help us to be men and women of faith. Lord, first and foremost, help us to be lovers of your word, lovers of your spirit, but men and women of faith. But Lord, as we just want to receive from you this morning, just once again, pour out your spirit. Holy Spirit, Come. This week, as we spend time with you, as we've been encouraged already to do, as we spend time in your presence, come and minister to our hearts each and every day. We want to step forward in the gifts. And Father, I want to pray as well, Lord, for boldness and for fearlessness in how we live for you. Holy Spirit, keep leading us, keep shaping us. But in everything, help us to love you and to love one another. That's your calling on us, to be worshippers of you. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen.